As we turn our attention now to the reading and preaching of God's Word. It has been a long journey through the book of Acts. And today it comes to an end. Next week John will come and, and preach a message on David and Goliath. Which I think is a, is a, is a great text. Which will lead in, into our next um, series. Our, our, our next uh, book of the Bible which we will study. Which is the book of Judges. The book of Judges is profound and probably would never be made into a movie that Christians could watch. Um, but it is a very important book for us to study and turn our attention to. And so I'm excited to begin that series in a few weeks. But with that being said, we come to the final section of Acts. Acts chapter 28, looking at verses 17 through 31. If you have a bulletin... You can follow along with me as I read it. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to look at that. But by way of reminder, let me remind you that Paul has been imprisoned by the Roman people. The Jews in Jerusalem thought he was forming an insurrection, and the Romans came to his defense, found out that he was a Roman citizen, and then he became part of the Roman um, Legislative, not legislative, but uh, um, criminal system. And he worked all the way to Rome. And God said, you're going to Rome. And now he's in Rome. And this is what we read of him while he's in Rome. So here's verse 17, chapter 28. After three days, he, that being Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, that being the Jews in Rome, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, that's to the sect of Christians that are forming all throughout the Roman Empire, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Paul says, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I want you to understand this. Those of you that know me know this probably very well. But I want you that you don't know me, I want you to understand this. I am by no means an art enthusiast. I remember visiting an art exhibit in the heart of London that housed Rembrandts and Monet's. 
And the entire time I was walking through this art museum, I was more interested at seeing the man jungle, juggle the soccer ball on the outside of the museum than I was about these paintings that people paid millions or whatever to see. I am in no way an art enthusiast. But here's what I want you to understand. I do appreciate it at times. And when I appreciate the art that I encounter, I am blessed. I get why people go to museums and see these things. Art can be a blessing. I'll never forget the time that I read Wendell Berry's Remembering. As I read the final words, I wept at the beauty and the prose that I had encountered in this book. I'll never forget sitting with my brother after he showed me his first full-length film, East of Middle West, and pondered the message that his film communicated. It was such a blessing for me to then sit and talk with him about the film, the artistic touches he had made throughout it, and the indelible message that his film had communicated. I'll never forget standing before Paolo Bernese's 1563 painting, The Wedding of Cana in the Louvre. It stands directly across from the Mona Lisa. But for me, this painting was far more interesting. It's the largest painting in the Louvre. And if you stand before it, you will be amazed. You'll want to turn your back to Mona Lisa and look at this painting. It was the first time that I can remember sitting in front of a painting and desiring to sit before it and explore the many aspects that this painting communicated. If for me, in just a moment, this painting communicated to me of depth, of God, history, of beauty, I stood before that painting and was blessed. So I'm not an art enthusiast, but I am someone who can appreciate it. Why do I say this? You see, I think there are passages in scripture that need to be seen as art rather than as math. A lot of texts give in the Bible give us kind of a one plus one equals two. And, and, and scripture can be presented that way, but there are other passages of scripture that need to be seen as art and appreciated as art. And the text that we've come to today, I think, needs to be categorized in more of the category as art than as math. If you look at this passage of scripture that we've just read or considered the passage that we've just read, I want you to realize that the story ends in such a weird way. We have followed from Acts chapter 9 all the way to Acts 28, a man named Paul. And Luke has provided us detail upon detail upon detail upon detail of this man's life. It starts with his missionary journeys, the four missionary journeys that he takes all throughout Rome and Greece. Then there's details about his insurrection trials in Jerusalem. And if you sat with us through some of these sermons on these things, you're like, oh my goodness, there's detail upon detail of this man's life. Luke does not hold back. Then there's the journey from Caesarea where he's going to Rome. And there's all these different you know, visitations to different harbors and then there's storms and then there's pythons biting and then there's finally we get to Rome just as God has told us that he's going to get to Rome and when he gets to Rome he deals with the Jews and then it's done we never hear of Paul's interaction with Caesar we never hear of this man's life from this point on we've been following this history and then out of the blue Luke ends it commentators go they try to figure out why they're doing it but I think it's all to do about nothing. It's because we're trying to force math into this passage when in reality Luke wants us to see it as art. It's an ending that shocks us. We have to treat this passage like art. 
And because it's my mind art, we have to use our imagination and mind to grasp the significance of how Luke ends his story. When we grasp this, or when we see it as art, I think we will be incredibly blessed by the message this ending communicates. As with most art, we have to use our imagination to find its blessing. And this morning, I want to use my imagination to bring before you the blessing of this text. And so with it being an odd ending, I thought it fitting to bring before you an odd outline. An outline to trigger your imagination to see the wondrous things of this odd ending. We're going to look at three objects of your own imagination, and we'll study these things. The first object that this ending leads us to is a map. So I put before you a map. Consider where the story ends. Where does Acts end? Rome. Rome is the most powerful city in all the world. The decisions made in this city ripple from places like Britain, North Africa, and the Middle East at this time. Rome's power is so great, largely due to its strong military and its unified government, that that the Bible even takes this strong and powerful force that had been persecuting Christians in the book of Revelation and call it a beast. It's a mighty beast with a formidable army. And yet, in the heart of the most powerful place in all the world, we find a man quietly sowing the seeds of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of God. History, therefore, affords us the ability to see that the very kingdom of God that Paul spoke of in small rooms in Rome outlived the great and mighty, powerful Roman Empire. Its armies, its government, its all. So pervasive is this message of the kingdom of God that Paul was communicating that it was able to slip behind enemy lines and deconstruct it from the very heart. Here's the thing I want you to see. This should not surprise us. Because it's exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus communicates to his disciples in Acts 1.8. Listen to this. That they will be witnesses, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They will be. It's a promise that Jesus said would happen. And here at the end of the story, we've followed the disciples going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and now to Rome. The gospel and the kingdom of God is pervading all across the world. It's quite profound. So the story ends with Paul sowing the seeds of the kingdom of God in Rome. And we are reminded of the promises that God has kept. The gospel has gone on to the ends of the earth. But I want you to see this. Because we have to to see this. With the ending being so abrupt. With simply Paul preaching passionately without hindrance. We are left wondering where else did the gospel go? What are the ends of the earth? I think the intentional ending of Luke, so abruptly and startling, is intended to wake us up. And to waken us up to the reality that God's promises are still going today. That as we sit in a 
shopping center in the middle of Little Rock, and the kingdom of God is being proclaimed, that the ends of the earth are being accomplished right here, right now. That as we sit thousands and thousands and thousands of miles from Rome, where Paul was sowing the seeds of the kingdom, the seeds of the kingdom are being sown here today. And we look back and we say, Jesus is still being faithful to the promises that he made, that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So as you sit here right now on a map in Little Rock, Arkansas, what this text tells us is that God is continuing to be faithful to his promises. And there is nothing that can stop it. It's going. I think what we have to see is that the kingdom of God will continue to pervade every corner of the earth. And while it might not, it, it, what we have to see is that this is not an if, but a when. For us, it's not if it's going to happen, but a when. And when we understand that the kingdom of God is going to continue to go on through people like us, that I think there's two simple applications that we can make and take from this ending. The first one is this. Do not doubt the power of God in the midst of a decaying culture or in the face of mighty powers. Do not doubt the power of God in the midst of a decaying culture or in the face of mighty powers. I'm telling you, as I see our culture and as I see people respond to the culture, and man, it's startling. As a pastor, one of the things that, that I want to communicate to you as the church is that you have to be reminded that God is going to be faithful to his promises that the kingdom of God will go through every nook and cranny of the world. And no matter how bad culture is getting or how great the forces are against maybe Christian forces, it's going to happen. So we should doubt not and we should live with hope. That's the first application. Friends, we should probably perhaps consider dropping the forms of habits that we have of consuming news because I think this, this, this gets in the way of us Doubting or gets in the way of us believing the power of God in the midst of a decaying culture. I'm trying to do it myself. I got off Twitter for like the 20,000th time this week. But I was convicted. My psyche was being affected and I wasn't able to believe the power of God. It's subtle message. The message of a mustard seed, Jesus says, that turns into this great, great and mighty tree that people can rest in. That's one application of this map going that we've put before you. The second is this. God's kingdom goes with people. Yes, God is the one that's doing it, but he's using people. And the question for you is, will you be his people? Will you be people who sow the kingdom of God in your neighborhood, in this church, in places like Little Rock, in places like Arkansas, the United States, or the world. Will you be that? This is what Jesus says. You will be my witnesses. You, 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 you will. And so the question is, will you? Will you respond to this message that goes throughout all the kingdom? It's a mystery as to why God would use us, but it's a privilege. And I'm wondering if you will go. So I have presented you this odd object that's based off this odd ending. And the object I've put before you is a map. How the kingdom of God goes throughout all the world. 
to the ends of the earth, including here. And God is faithful to that. But there's a second odd object that I want to present to you based off of this odd ending. And that odd object is a portrait. A map, and now a portrait. It's quite simple for all of us to read Acts 28, 17-31 and think the portrait that I'm going to put before you is the portrait of Paul. But that's not what I imagine in this text. It is not Paul. We are left with few details of Paul's final days from this text. We don't know if he ever stood before Caesar. We don't know what happens to him following verse 31. And this intentional act of Luke forces Paul off the scene and leaves us wondering about the story. What happens to Paul? What's going on? Why does Luke do this? Commentators try to ask this all the time. Why is Luke's story cut short? Why? Why? What? I want to know. And the answer is this. The story is not about Paul. The story has never been about Paul. The story is always about God. We have to see Acts in its proper context. The book of Acts is the second part of Luke's history of Jesus, written to a man named Theophilus. At the beginning of this, this is his first edition, which is the book of Luke. He begins his story like this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And Luke goes on from there to tell the story of Jesus. Volume 1. Volume 2 picks up in Acts, and we see in Acts chapter 1, verses 1, and really just verse 1, listen to how he begins the book of Acts. In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I'll just leave it there. Those are the first words of the book of Acts. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And what's the implication that Luke is telling us? Now I'm going to tell you what he continues to do. And so when we get to this ending, and it's this abrupt ending, especially with the life of Paul, where we got nothing, we're going, what's going on? Well, it's not about Paul. The story is always about Jesus and what he's doing. And so we are left in our imagination to wonder, what is Jesus doing? What does he continue to do? The portrait that I put before you is not a portrait of Paul, it's a portrait of God. And while we can't know what God looks like because God does not have a body like men, I just put up before you the number one. Because before you, we have the supremacy of God, the primacy of God, that God is first. And we are second. My son is at a camp right now, and I, I love one of, the, one of the morals that, or one of the kind of uh, patterns that they teach is called the I'm third life. And I think the I'm third life captures what Luke was trying to do in his ending. And the I'm third life is like this. God, God is first, others are second, and I'm third. God is first. He is primary because he is the one that is doing this story. He's the author. He's the supreme being who makes all things new. And he is the one this story is about. So church, he is what your life is about. We can get so worked up 
about ourselves. And trust me, the world wants to put before you that love yourself first. Do you. That makes me want to gag. Okay? No. You are not first. You are the created. You are not the creator. And since you aren't the creator, you ain't first. The portrait that we put forward is the number one because God is the one who is supreme. It's a simple question for you that this text leads. Is God first in your life? Is your life about giving glory to God or is your life about what you do with your life? The glory you receive, the wealth you desire, who's it about? As you look at the portrait of your own life, who's it about? Is it about God or is it about yourself? I've placed before you odd objects. I've placed before you a map. I've placed before you a portrait. And perhaps the last odd object is the strangest of them all. But the last odd object that I put before you is a butterfly. Yes, a butterfly. I want you to consider the man that we've encountered throughout Acts and the man that we've encountered in these last few verses of the book of Acts. It is Paul. (coughs) While we're not provided the details of his death or really anything that happens beyond him hanging out in a home proclaiming the kingdom of God boldly, we must remember that this is a man who has been radically transformed. When we first encountered Paul in Acts, he was a persecutor of the church. He had spent time killing even some of the greatest people in the Christian church, like Stephen. Paul, looking at himself and to his protege, Timothy, said, Look, I am the chief of sinners. He understood that he was a sinner deeply. But in Acts 9, he has this encounter with God on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest people and to kill people for following Jesus. But in a moment, when he encountered God, the resurrected Jesus, he was changed from the persecutor of the church to the promoter of the church. And so as Acts ends, we see this man continuing to promote the gospel that struck him blind on the road to Damascus. In fact, the very last words of the book of Acts describe Paul preaching with all boldness and without hindrance. And here's what I want you to see. The transformation of persecutor to promoter has stuck, and it has stuck to the end. Paul is like a butterfly. At once he was a caterpillar pursuing the things of the earth, but now being transformed by the power of God into a far more beautiful creature, a butterfly. He is a man of the sky, and it will never go back. This is the beauty of God's transformation, my friends. That once it hits, there's no going back. Yes, there's times of disappointment and discouragement. Yes, there's times of doubt and despair. But Paul shows us and the way that Luke, is, Luke presents Paul, Paul is, shows us that once God transforms, it sticks. This is what Paul said to the church in Philippi, and I think it certainly applies to him, and it certainly applies to the picture that Luke gives us of Paul. He says this, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of 
Jesus Christ. What we have here is a transformed man forever. Just like a butterfly. And it begs the question for us all. Are you a caterpillar? Or are you a butterfly? Not everyone in here is indeed a butterfly. Not everyone in this room has experienced God's transforming and liberating power. Some in here are simply concerned with the things of this earth. What you eat. What you drink. What you wear. What others think about you. Of being famous. You simply live to pump up your ego. When we see the portrait of our own life, the portrait we see is of ourselves. And we say, love myself. We are a caterpillar. If you do that, you simply exist to make a name for yourself. Yeah, maybe from time to time you wonder what it would be like to be free of such cares. But these moments are flitting and fleeing as quickly as they come. You have no wings to fly. You're not free. You are simply chained to yourself. And oh, would it be nice to be free and to fly like a butterfly. <coughs> Let me ask you for the caterpillars that are in this room, is this how you want to live? Do you want to change? Perhaps I'm speaking to you in one of those flitting moments where change is indeed desire, where you long to stop worrying about yourself all the time, where you long for forgiveness and freedom where you desire not to care so much about what people say about you. If this is you, I have good news. There is someone who has the power to set you free from these shackles, to transform you from being a caterpillar and into a butterfly. And his name is Jesus. Jesus transformed Paul from persecutor to promoter, and it stuck. He changed him in but a moment, and that change lasts forever. So I tell you, if you are a caterpillar, to look in your bulletin at the last song we just sang. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you are a caterpillar, ponder those words. And while I have a limited time to really expound on what it means to turn into a butterfly, what it looks like, if this is something that is grabbed your attention, it is always um, a, a desire to sit and talk with you. We have on our website, Coffee on Us. If this is you, if you want to talk more about what it means to be changed, click on that button or even come talk to me. Are you a, are you a caterpillar or are you a butterfly? Look, not all of you guys are caterpillars. I understand that. Some in here are beautiful butterflies. Like Paul, you have been transformed by the power of Jesus. You've been made new. You've gone from death to life, from enslaved to free, from guilty to forgiven. And what I want to tell you is what a glorious transformation that you've undergone. But here's the thing. We've got to talk. Butterflies forget their freedom sometimes. Butterflies forget such deliverance. Butterflies forget such a life that they have. Butterflies try to live like caterpillars. To the butterflies in this room, you are not a caterpillar. You are a butterfly set free by the power of God, and you will continue to fly. 
So forget not the transformation. And forget not that that transformation will stick to the end. Butterflies, be butterflies. Acts ends in such an odd way, doesn't it? And with an odd ending, I think it's fitting that we consider this in an odd way. And we've done that by putting before you three odd objects. A map, a portrait, and a butterfly. I pray as you behold and consider these three odd objects, that you consider the message that each of these objects communicates. And when you do, trust me, you will be incredibly blessed. Because that's what art does. It blesses us. Let me pray. Lord, we give thanks to you for your word, how it guides and directs us, how it even gives us the freedom to use our imagination. Yes, we give thanks to you, O Lord, for this. In using our imagination today, we have been blessed by your word. And we pray, O Lord, that the, the message of these odd objects would continue to shape us, to form us, to challenge us, but to free us and to bless us. Oh, for the sake of your glory and our good, I pray that you would do this. Amen. Please stand.